You're listening to Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. Matthew Palomari back with us on Coast to Coast. We are going to talk about shamans, spirit possessions, voodoo, and shape-shifting. And then later on, we'll take your calls on Coast to Coast AM. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you, author, editor, shamanic explorer, Matthew Palomari's latest book titled Pika Floor is the sequel to Spirit Matters. Now, that chronicles his adventures throughout the mountains, deserts, jungles of North, Central, and South America, pursuing studies of shamanism, visionary experiences working with plant medicines, among them ayahuasca, peyote, San Pedro cactus, and many, many more. He has been a leading a very popular fiction workshop at the Southern California and Santa Barbara Writers' Conferences to more than 30 years of work, and it frequently lectures about shamanism and writing throughout the United States, Matthew, welcome back to the program. Trust all is well. All is well. Uh, as my stepson would say, all good in the hood. Thank you for having me back. I love it. Pika Flor, explain that title to us. Yeah, Pika Flor um, is uh, in Peru. Pika Flor is what they name hummingbirds. And uh, Pika oh. is to bite or sting, and Flor is flower. So it's bite flower. And it's a very uh, popular and very spiritual animal, um, both in the Andes and in the Amazon areas. Um, in Mexico, Spanish, they call them colibri, and of course, uh, beja flor in Portuguese. But pico flor is a big deal in Peru. There's a lot of songs and mythologies and wonderful things uh, that go on around them, and I'm madly in love with them. I love it. We're going to talk with you about a lot of things tonight, Matthew, but let's start with shamanism. In your opinion, what is shamanism? So shamanism is the very basis of all the world's religions and spiritual thought. It goes back to the very beginnings when anybody looked up at the stars and said, wow, you know, what does this all mean? Shamans were the first performing artists, the first teachers, the first healers, the first musicians, the first traveling troubadours, the first storytellers. And the storytelling aspect is important because knowledge you know, prior to printing presses, um, knowledge was carried by oral tradition, and the oral traditions evolved going forward to, to adapt to the time. So the very beginnings, every single religion in the world of organized religion today um, has its roots in shamanism. It's uh, Especially uh, Buddhism is very close, and mm-hmm. it's about the Tao, and, um, and Christians sometimes get upset when I say this, but technically speaking, Jesus was a shaman, Buddha was a shaman, Muhammad was a shaman. Um, so it's the very beginnings. It's back, right. to the, it's back to the primitive, prehistoric, primal roots of spirituality and questioning life and reality and what it all means. Did every tribe have one shaman, at least? At least. Uh, some had more. There are a number of ways to be chosen as a shaman. Um, uh, among others, if you get struck by lightning and survive, you can be a shaman. Uh-huh. Um, people who in our society might be marginalized for their mental conditions and in other indigenous societies were actually revered. Um, because they had a different perspective and they looked at them in that way. It's often passed on through families um, and different things through dreaming and other altered states of consciousness can indicate that someone is to be a shaman. So it is genetic too. It can be genetic, or but I would, and, and as opposed to genetic, just more traditionally carried on. Like years ago, I was working with an old shaman, and um, by the way, in Peru, uh, in the jungle, they don't call themselves shamans; they call themselves plant men or vegetalistas. And this guy was amazing. He had this; he was an encyclopedia of knowledge, and he said, "I am a plant man." And my father was a plant man before him, and his father was a plant man before him. And the tradition had been handed on through through many, many, many generations. Were they like herbalists? Yes, exactly. Uh huh. In in the jungle, um, all you have is the plants. That's true. And I'm I'm so amazed, Matthew, at how these plants are remedies for so many ailments on the planet. It's truly remarkable. It, it's amazing. And one of the things that have gone on over time is the pharmaceutical companies have come in and taken these traditions, and then they try to isolate one component of it, and then they try to make a patent on it. Yeah. You know, and the indigenous people are like, it's the medicine. It's sharing. 
You know, um, they, they don't really want to commercialize it. They want to share it. It's, it's a, they, they consider it all a, a blessing from creation. I mean, like the aspirin came from the willow bark tree. Yes, sir, that is correct. It's amazing how that happens. It's you, you got to believe in a God when you see the incredible synchronicities and the divine intelligence behind all this. I, George, I love that. I was listening to your earlier uh, guest there, and you, and you were mentioning that, and I was just getting all lit up. I, I couldn't believe more in that in any way, shape, and form. And um, I've experienced it directly in the jungle, which has led me into a passionate fascination with sacred geometry. Absolutely. Now, would, the, would you consider the shamans to be almost like doctors, too? Yes. So people would go to them if they were sick, if they were, absolutely, you know, haunted, and every we'll get into possessions in a moment. But yeah. people would go to them for just about anything, I guess. Absolutely, because that's all that there were. They, they, even now, when I've gone into the Amazon, it's been a few years since I've been, but I've been going for twenty years. And they, you out there in the middle of the wilderness, in the jungle, you know, miles and miles away from anything, any electricity or anything, and you get sick, and something happens. There's nobody else there. That's right. And so they rely very much on the plants and the balance of nature and the land. And interesting, um, in many traditions, particularly ayahuasca traditions, people would go to the shaman to get healed. And the shaman is the one who would take the medicine. And then he would find out and intuit um, what he, the healing he, would be. But he, 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 he experienced. Describe other plants and things like that to the people. He experimented on himself first, I guess. Yeah, it goes back to that. But um, there are a, there's a whole pharmacopoeia of plants in the jungle, and I've worked with many of them. And so, um, a, along with ingesting plants and other substances, there are very strict diets. I've done a dozen of them now. Um, and different rituals and things that you need to do with different plants in order to get the full effects. Like, um, you know, pharmaceutical companies will try to isolate one component in a plant. Right. But when they use it in the jungle, they'll do that with a very particular diet, with very particular things and tinctures and other things, and you have to follow sometimes for up to 30 days or more to this prescription where your body passes through and purges whatever it happens to be. Mm -hmm. How did they know how to do this? That's one of the eternal questions. There's an old, there's a bunch of myths, obviously, but one of the oldest myths that I love is that there was, so, particularly with ayahuasca, which is considered the mother of all the other plants. And there's a story of a, a Indian woman who would go every day down and bathe herself. So there's two plants. There's one chakruna, which is Psychotria viridis. That has the psychoactive component, has the DMT in it. And the ayahuasca, which also has DMT in it, but it's primarily an MAO inhibitor. Uh, you can ingest the chakruna all day, and you won't have any effect because the monoamine oxidase enzymes in your stomach will digest it before it can become orally active. Ah. But when you combine it with the ayahuasca, Look out. <laughs> it, it has an MAO inhibitor, and then you have a five-hour journey. So the story goes that one day there was an Indian woman who was, uh, every day she was bathing in the chakruna plant. And one day the spirit of the chakruna plant said, why, why are you bathing with me all the time? And this, you know, she says, well, I just love how you make me feel, and I, you know, it's just a good feeling. So the spirit of the chakruna plant said, well, you should take this and combine it with the ayahuasca vine. And she went and told somebody, and then it became the tradition. But wow. in reality, this stuff goes back, it's literally prehistoric. It, it is. Do you think it was trial and error? I think it has to be. You know, if you think going back to very primitive times, you you know, Cruck the caveman ate this plant and he died. Well, I guess we're not going to eat that one anymore, right? right? Exactly. Unless somebody told them from above? Well, that, that could be because there are other... Uh, stories of the plants speaks and the plants as teachers and the plants are, and the animals are considered as allies. And when you ingest the plant, you uh, ingest the spirit of the plant. You become infused with it. And when you do these extended diets, they call them dietas, um, you get infused over time with the plants. And, and I like to say you literally become the jungle. Do you think, Matthew, there were more available plants hundreds of years ago than there might be today? Um, yeah, overall, I would say yes, because of all the environmental destruction that we're doing. But one of the things that fascinates me is that the highest concentration of plants and animal life is at the equator. And That's interesting. Yeah, and the equator is the place where the sun hits the earth the most. Mm-hmm. So it's got to look- be something to do with that. I, I think so because it's, you know, there's the whole thing of Father Sky and Mother Earth 
and and you have these two elemental spirits of male and female, masculine and feminine, and um, that point on the earth where it hits the most, the most intense concentration is where is the most diverse life, and the most more than anywhere else, really. And I've always found that fascinating. It, it really is. It, yeah. At, at this point t- today, if you were to go back to these areas in uh, South America. In the jungles, are the tribes people still performing shamanism? Oh, absolutely! And, and, and interesting, this ties in with something we, we discussed just a few minutes ago. The, like the, the the guys that I work with the most, I've worked in a number of different traditions, but the ones I've worked with the most are considered mestizos, which are mis, mixed races. So they may have Spanish, they may have some African, they may have some Chinese, they may have some Indian. I've also worked with pure tribes, but the mo- the purest tradition I've worked in is being done by mestizos. So what's important is that the tradition and the roots of the tradition is being carried on. It, it's not necessarily, it is tribal, but it's not always tribal. Some of the best ones are non-tribal because the tradition itself is pure, even though the genetics change, it gets carried forward. Yep. And it evolves as time evolves to, to, to go with the uh, the times, you know, to survive. And thrive. But it is remarkable how they're able to do it, how they're able to survive, how they're able to heal, and it works. Oh, yeah, it, it does. And, and, and the thing that people don't realize is they think, oh, I'll go drink ayahuasca and, it, and then it's going to cure my cancer. Well, no, not necessarily. It could. But if you drink ayahuasca and you do an intense cleansing diet that purifies you, you know, on all levels, then you, you then if you think about it, when you get down to the bottom of it, it's magical, but it's really common sense, too. Edgar Casey, remember that name? Oh, I love Edgar Casey. Yeah. I, I met uh, his uh, Charles Thomas and Hugh Lynn, his son and grandson. Yeah. I went to I was big on Casey. Oh, me too. Me too. And he he said something I'll, I'll never forget. And he said, eat a couple raw almonds a day to prevent cancer. He didn't use the cure word, but he said to prevent cancer, eat a couple raw almonds a day. And I'm thinking of him as almost like a modern day shaman. Well, absolutely, because he was the sleeping prophet. Yep. And what would he do? He would go into a, he would you know and and, and the, the 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 boundaries between sleeping and dreaming and visionary states are quite blurred. In in western culture we separate them. But indigenous cultures there's really no difference. They see it as a continuum of consciousness. It's a powerful tool for them, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely because it's a, it's an inner journey and um you know in my experience my my first profound jungle dieta which was back in 2000 um my dreams and my visions played into each other and then my dreams and my visions over time started playing into my everyday life and so my everyday normal waking consciousness life became more magical and now they've all blurred together and for me personally in my experience there's no difference it's just a continuum of consciousness so when Casey went into his trances and he gave these profound healings and then he would wake up and he wouldn't remember what he said yeah he they had to write it down to show him yeah yeah exactly exactly so the same thing happens in terms of uh, shamanism and visionary experiences and, and even dreams, that learning to navigate. One of the main things of shamanism um, is learning to navigate altered states of consciousness. What would you say, Matthew, in your career has been the most dramatic thing you've witnessed? Oh, gosh, tons. <laughs> Where do I start? I really. I'll, I'll tell you a very brief personal story. When I first went on my first jungle dieta, I was very close with my mom. In fact, she said to me, let me get this straight. You mean to tell me you're going to go into the middle of the jungle and hallucinate? Oh. And I'm like, well, yeah, mom. She's like, oh, my God. Moms are concerned. <laughs> yeah. But then I did a radio show, and the host was a good friend of mine. He asked me a lot of good questions. I taped it. I sent her the tape, and she felt a little better once she heard the tape. Like, mm-hmm. okay, he's not nuts. He, he's done some research. So I had a deal with her because when you go into the jungle, you disappear for 10 days. There's That's no right. Communication with anything. You're gone. You're gone. So I had a deal with her that, and I'm and I'm gonna I'm giving away part of one of my books here. But I went in, and over time, I had this dream, the most profound lucid dream ever. And I was aware of myself sleeping in the jungle and in the dream at the same time. It was a bilocation experience, but the dream was more real. And I kept getting all of these uh, Teresa this and Teresa that, and and, and Teresa was here and, and all these things with Teresa. I didn't know what any of it meant. And then that night, I went into a deep ayahuasca vision, and the spirit of Santa Teresa de Avila came to me. Now, 
I went in and I, I was raised Catholic and I rejected all that stuff. I went in, I, I want to get eaten by a jaguar and I'm going to be a pagan and all this. That was my mindset. That was it, yeah. Yeah, so I go in and, and I went into rapture with Santa Teresa for four hours and she was speaking to me in Spanish and I didn't know Spanish and I understood everything she was giving to me and I, my heart was opened up and it was just a really beautiful experience. So when I came out of the jungle, the deal was call mom. So I called mom and I said, Ma, you got to really think I lost it here. But I got to tell you, I had this vision of Santa Teresa and I never even knew who she was. After it all happened, I had to ask people, who's Santa Teresa? And she got really quiet. And I said, Ma, what, 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 what's wrong? I know yeah, what's, what's up, Ma? I really what's lost up? it now, right? She said to me, I've never told anybody this ever before in my life. But you know, growing up, that your grandmother assigned us saints. She assigned your Aunt Pip, St. Joan, and she assigned me Santa Teresa de Aunt. Wow. Yeah. What are the odds of that happening? I'm telling you, that made a believer out of me. And, and she said, and she said, I've never, I never really totally bought into the Catholic thing. But every time I ever prayed, I prayed to Santa Teresa de Avila. Well, that's fantastic. Say, that floored me, and it was a life-changing moment. And, and I gave away, by the way, I just gave away the ending of my memoir, Spirit Matters. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> But uh, that's, a, that's a story you'll never forget. It changed your life. It totally changed my life. Uh, you know, you and I talked before. We're both from Massachusetts, and I grew up in Dorchester, and I was a Dorchester tough guy. Well, mom's you know. from Fitchburg. Yeah. So um, that changed my whole life. Matthew, we're going to take a quick break and come back in just a moment, and I want to get your thoughts on demonic possessions. We'll talk about that for a little bit, and then we'll take calls with you next hour on Coast to Coast. Matthew Palomari with us. His latest book is called Picaflor, P-I-C-A-F-L-O-R. It's available at Amazon.com, and his website, of course, is his name linked up for you at coasttocoastam.com. And welcome back to Coast to Coast, George Norrie with you, Matthew Palomari with us, of course. His latest book is called Pika Floor. Let's talk about demonic possessions. How in the world did you get involved studying this, Matthew? Well, you probably remember this. When that movie, The Exorcist, came out. I, I yes, remember that well. Even when, So uh, I remember my mom brought me the book. I was in high school. She brought me the book, and she said to me, you got to read this. And I went into my bedroom at 7.30 at night, and I walked out at 7.30 in the morning. I couldn't put the thing down. No, it was a great book. Oh, I was fascinated Blatty's, by it. Blatty's book. Yeah, yeah, William Peter Blatty. And then, of course, the movie and all, all the stuff that went with it. So that always fascinated me. And, and then um, I had a friend in high school, and he was very troubled. His mom committed suicide, and he found her, and he kind of wigged out. And one night he got really drunk. And he turned into something else, and he went crazy. And we had a lot of problems with him, and it's like one eye was looking in the wrong direction. He was like some beast thing. And, of course, he woke up finally in the morning and didn't remember anything. Jeez. And that fascinated me that somebody could check out, you know, like that and be like a beast. And then um, in the early 80s, I used to listen to a, a gentleman by the name of Roy Masters. He had a... Oh, yeah. Remember Roy well. Oh, okay. I, I got to know Roy pretty good. How your mind can keep you well. And um, I went to a bunch of his seminars, and he married some of my friends and all that. And he would he would do, like, exorcisms on people. So I was very much fascinated with that, and I've done tons of research on my own and dug into it and made lots of discoveries and figured out a lot of things with my own personal demons. And then, of course, there are the more extreme cases, like the ones I saw, you know. Uh, God, one time Roy was there with this guy with a cross, and, and this guy was, like, spitting and... <laughs> know, like a, like a pissed off cat. So it was always fascinating me how people can totally change and then um, into something ungodly or whatever you want to call it, and then wake up the next morning and they don't remember anything. So it's fascinating me like that. And I've been digging deeper and deeper into it as the years have gone by and found out more about it to the, getting more to the roots of it, I guess is a good way to put it. Did you find spirit possessions uh, all over the place in uh, South America? Yes, and but, but more... Um, it's interesting. More voluntary. And there are some things like there's called the, uh, the, the in some parts there's called the evil eye and people get 
uh, afflicted with the evil eye. But in the, it's not. It's only have, based on their system of belief that they live by. Like it's not in other parts of the world. Um, I think the biggest thing, the core of the possession, comes from um, our shadows, our human shadows. And I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Jung's concept of the shadow. Yeah. Yeah, I think it really mostly comes from that. But I also think that you can open yourself up to different energies. And, um, you know, it's like right now we're on the radio. People everywhere are tuned into the frequency that the transmitter is at. Everybody tunes into that same frequency, and everybody's hearing the same thing. So I think the mind is, can be the same way. And when you tune into particular energies, you draw them to yourself. And sometimes, as you well know, and we, we all know, that there are powers in the universe and in the world that are far bigger than we are. Absolutely. So um, there's a, a tradition in the jungle called whistling through the forest. And you go when you go into the forest and you're basically saying, look it, I know you're bigger than me. I know you can heal me or you can kill me. And I'm telling you right now that I'm acknowledging you and I respect you and I'm asking for your help. And so you're acknowledging those, those forces that are bigger than you. And then those energies come in. And, and by the way, energy in, in, in this, these traditions, energy and spirit mean the same thing. Um, but spirit and demon possessions are different, aren't they? Well, yeah, but, but you, could, you, could, uh, you could argue that demonic possession is a demonic spirit. So it's, it's, it's yeah. the energy of it. Um, and there are some plants in the jungle uh, I've been shown. They say if you take this plant, you've chosen the dark path. And once you, cho- once you choose the dark path, there's no turning back. And this plant, it's like a, it's like a palm, but it's got all these spines. It's even nasty looking. You look at it, you're like, I don't even want to go near that thing. Yeah, it, l- it looks evil, like a Venus flytrap or something. Right? Yeah, 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 like all spiky and, you know, almost like a COVID virus. It's like that, you know. So it's about respecting the energies, and, and you know, not, it's not something to be messed with. I've been very lucky to have people who have mentored me who have uh, great integrity, and they've taught me a lot. Have the the shamans are also responsible for ridding people of demons, aren't they? Yes. Um, as a matter of fact, a lot of the ceremonies, the uh, ayahuasca ceremonies that I've attended, um, is to bring them out. And the, the key to it all, if you're in that place, is you have to face the demon. You have to go through the hell that it represents. And oftentimes, probably more often than not, it, uh, it comes from a trauma. Like some of the worst cases I've seen have been people who are like molested and abused as, as you know, young children. Yes, exactly. I, I think, for example, a serial killer is developed by the way he's treated as a little kid. Absolutely. Absolutely. You remember, obviously, a Silence of the Lambs. Oh, yeah. So there, yep. in the book, when I was reading the book, and there was a moment, I teach this in my writing classes all the time. There's a, the bad serial killer, Buffalo Bill. There's a scene in there where he's really, really abused by uh, his grandmother and the people in his boarding house. And he's so broken, and he's got a cleft palate. And they're calling him all these nasty names. And, and he's so broken that he goes to sleep, and he's crying, and he's trying to say grandma, and he's saying, hey, ma. Yeah. Because he can't enunciate it properly, right? Well, when I read that, I'm getting goosebumps right now because then you realize that there, but for the grace of God, any one of us is capable of those things because we're all human. And it's that level of abuse. Well, thank God I was raised in a family of loving parents, Matthew. Oh, me too. Well, my mom, anyway. Dad was a little tough. Oh my! He he went to prison. He did. He was in Walpole. He was an embezzler, and he was a big oh. jazz drummer. But uh, he was a codeine addict. But you know, he was wounded in World War II, also. Yeah, my dad was in World War II. Not wounded, but he was there. Yeah, he got wounded by a kamikaze. He had a plate in his head, so you know. That could have had done a lot to him. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I don't have any anger toward him and all that. But he was not there. He went. He went to Walpole there when I was probably four. Sometimes when we look at the TV shows. They'll show you a shaman looking at a bird, and all of a sudden, you're seeing what a bird sees. You're looking down at people on the ground and stuff like that. Do shamans have that ability to basically remote view or project themselves? I've had that experience myself. You have? Oh, yes. Um, so the, the, the first time I, I was in a ceremony with an older, the older shaman, the one I was talking about earlier, and I was sitting cross-legged, and all of a sudden my legs started flapping. 
like wings, which, which happened. Out of control. Uh, it wasn't out of control. Well, it, it was out of control, but I, I could have stopped it if I wanted to, but it had its own energy. Okay. And it felt wonderful. And I was going, first I was a butterfly, and then I was flying through the mountains and seeing particular kind of feathers. And I thought, wow, this is great. I was having a good time. The next day, the old shaman came to check on me. And I said, you know, and I pointed to my legs, you know, what's flying? And he gave me this big smile. He said, el condor. And right when he said that, I realized I had been a condor. And that went on for a number of years until another time I was in a ceremony, five, six, seven years later. And my legs started going a mile a minute and my body started jerking. And if I hadn't had the experience, I would have freaked out. And I had these beautiful neon pastel colored visions. The next morning, we do this integration check-in. And one of the guys came in and he said, I knew we were going to have a real great experience because just before the ceremony started, a hummingbird came up right in my face. Right when he said that, my girlfriend beside me said, you were the hummingbird. And I realized I was the hummingbird all at the same time. That's why that book That's is named Ecoflora because it's about how I went from condor energy to hummingbird energy. It's about There's you. A lot of mythologies behind that. Tell me about your involvement with lycanthropy. Werewolf mythology. Yeah, so the, the, that was another part that drew me deeply into the into the Amazon because uh, werewolf lycanthropy has to do with shape shifting and uh, the whole idea. You know, it's also in uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. That's right. You know, the inner beast, the monster lied within, and that really is a metaphor for the human shadow. But I always had a fascination with altered states, and then I did some research, and when I realized the the amount of visionary plans the concentration of them that are in the Amazon and all of the shape-shifting mythologies that went to there, then I was hooked and I had to go and I had to go explore it. And one of the main things of shamanism has to do with experiential knowledge. You know, they, they, the anthropologists would get on there and they would go, oh, look at these people. They drink this stuff and they all go crazy, right? But they had no idea what was going on. They were just looking from the outside. Right. But when you experience it directly and you realize that these people are working on their inner selves and working with their dark inner shadows, and our shadows are beasts. They're they're out of control. So the whole God, you know, the Lon Chaney and the werewolf, I, when I was a kid, I loved that stuff. Those were the best. Oh, yeah. Do you think uh, lycanthropy is real? I think not literally. I think that... So somebody doesn't shapeshift into a wolf. No, I thought that for a long time until I researched and researched and had some of my own personal experience. Now, interesting when you think about it, because I would do a ceremony, I would have this experience, I would become a condor or a hummingbird. Well, when that's happening to me at that time, in that moment... It's real. Just like you can be in a dream flying on a pink horse with blue polka dots. It's real to you then. Then, right? And you're totally accepting of it. You could do all the weirdest things. And so in that moment, it's real. So in that state of consciousness, it's real. But it's, and it's a subjective experience. It's always subjective. So I don't believe that, that it, it happens literally. I used to when I was younger, but all the research and the experiences I've had in the years since, um, I think it's a subjective thing. And so um, the, for me now, I'm very much in tune with the hummingbird energy, and I've had tons of experiences with them in all different ways. Do you find that the indigenous tribes can separate religion from spirituality? Oh, that's a great question, George. The difference between spirituality, so religion is organized religion. It's mm -hmm. based on the words of prophets. So, you know. And is that P-R-O-F-I-T-S? Yeah, well, there's that. that that's for sure, right? Yeah. <laughs> Touche, you went on that one. Yeah. But so, you know, you think about, just I'll use Jesus for an example. Jesus uh I always like to say, Jesus went out into the desert and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and talked to God. Well, I guarantee anybody, if anybody goes out into the desert and fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, I guarantee you they'll be talking to God, too. You got that right. But then you take Jesus, his revelation, and then the first thing that happens is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Mm -hmm. So now you suddenly have, once removed, interpretations from four different people. Muhammad sat in a cave. Buddha sat under the Bodhi tree. Well, what the shamans say is, the hell with all that. Go have your own experience. So religion is about, organized religion is about the words of prophets that have been handed down and reinterpreted and rewritten, blah, 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 blah. Spirituality is about direct experience, and it's the primary difference. You you can't, I told you about my, my vision of Santa Teresa, yeah. and everybody can listen, but I had the direct experience, and they can all think about what it might be like, but if you haven't had the experience, you don't really know. It's, it's a very, very, very subjective thing. Some say that we are living in a holographic universe, that it's just not real, it's fictitious. What do you think of that? 
Well, to be a wise guy, you could say it's a figmentation of our imagination. But um, I'm working on a book right now. I'm calling it. I'm on the later drafts of it. It's called The Holographic Cosmic Man. Interesting. And I've come to the realization that um, a uh, the golden mean, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the golden mean. The golden mean is the perfect mathematical geometric representation of a hologram. And everything is nested within everything else. And so like in, one of the main things in shamanism and ancient Egyptian thought, for that matter, and other places, is that our heart is the middle of our being. It's the sun of our personal solar system. That's right. It's our universe. Yeah. So our heart is connected to the sun that supports life in our solar system, and that's connected to the next sun, to the next sun, to the next sun, all the way back to source. It's all holographic. And one of the wonderful things about a hologram is that if you break it down into its component parts, the whole is contained within each part. You can see the whole image. There's got to come a point where the resolution breaks down. But the whole is contained in the part, and when you start to look around the world and you realize that it's, it's, it's all over the place in multiple ways, and it's all expressed, you know, geometrically and mathematically. That is remarkable. Matthew, we're going to take calls next hour with you as we talk about shamanism and demonic spirits and possession. And uh, the, the shamans are pretty well schooled at just about everything, aren't they? You know, this that's the amazing thing. They're having these breakthrough discoveries in quantum physics now, and the shamans are like, where you been for the past thousands of years? Yeah, yeah, they, they knew it all then. So stick with us, folks. We're going to come back in a moment with Matthew Palomari as we are taking calls next. The lines are open. His website is his name, linked up at coasttocoastam.com. His latest book is called Picaflor, P-I-C-A-F-L-O-R. Welcome back, Matthew Palomari with us. Matthew, would you say that most shamans are nice people? Probably most, but not all. There are some dark ones. Really? Yeah, you know, this whole thing with ayahuasca tourism has been getting a bit out of control. Okay, so they try to scare you off? No, they try to take advantage because there's Ah. poverty down there. A little profit motive here. Profit, and even like, you know, there are stories of like, uh, oh, you know, hello, young lady, if you come down to the river bank with me at midnight. Oh, jeez, yeah. Um, and there's, there's, there's a lot of poverty and desperation, so that's why I feel so lucky, because my original mentor, he had been researching and going down there for 15 years before I met him in 98. And so I got turned on to some guys who have a lot of integrity, but I've seen a few instances of people who don't have integrity because people think, oh, he's the shaman, and they're like, mm-hmm. they're, they're worshiping at their feet, and they're giving themselves up, you know, and opening themselves up, and they get taken advantage of. Would you put, like, John of God in that category? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he really took advantage of his abilities, if he had any, in the first place. Yeah, and I knew some people who were very much into him and buying his crystal beds and this and that. Um, Unbelievable. And, and you know, God, here he is behind the scenes, a total piece of crap, right? Right, you got to watch what you say, man. Yeah, I know. That's why I caught myself. <laughs> so let me ask you this. When the shamans are doing what they do, are they picking up powers from, like, God? That's an interesting question because in their viewpoint, God is in everything. So a spirit, for instance, a plant spirit, is considered an emissary or one facet. I like the idea of multifaceted. So that's one Let me know when it's... of the whole thing that you can call upon if you respect it and realize that it's all connected together. These these demonic possessions, that fascinates me. How do we know some of it's not just mental illness, Matthew? I think a lot of it is, frankly. Um, when you have trauma, and you, you what happens is we suppress trauma, and we hide it, and we deny it, and that becomes our shadow. Our shadow is all of the things that we don't like about ourselves. And when we're first traumatized, we don't know any other way to deal with it, and we come up with something, and then we forget the original trauma. When when we come and we're, we're young, the first thing we do is emulate everybody around us and their strategies for coping because we're trying to learn by copying. But the strategies aren't always good strategies. And then we get ourselves into a situation that's traumatic and we don't want to face it and we and we don't even remember it. And it's repressed and it festers and festers and festers. And then it'll come out like when people get drunk or other situations that set it off. And then, of course, they won't remember anything that they did. 
So it has to do with the energies of uh, darkness. And in, in, in a lot of traditions, they don't even, even though it's quote-unquote evil, they don't see it as evil. They see it as ignorance or levels of energy. So it's a lower energy because if they really knew any better, they wouldn't be doing those horrible things. But it's the trauma that drives it all. And, of course, trauma is driven by fear. Mm-hmm. When you break it all down, fear is contraction and love is expansion. You know, I'm into herbs and supplements, so I think in a strange way, I'm dabbling in plant medicine, aren't I? You most certainly are, George. And it works. Yes, it does. Um, and, you know, as a matter of fact, when you look into, like, like I'm a fan of Chinese medicine. That's shamanism. It's it's plants, and sometimes they use some animal things here and there, but, but Chinese herbalism and acupuncture is shamanism. It's, it's energy work. Let's go to the phones. Brendan's with us in Austin, Texas. Hello, Brendan. Thank you so much, George, Matthew, and uh, all the Coast to Coast listeners. Thank you. So earlier um, you had said that there was a plant that could make people evil or that was, you know, a, a bad plant possibly. And that made me wonder, are there any, any animal spirits that you shouldn't call upon? And what are your some of your favorite animal spirits to call upon? Well, when you get into animal connection and communication, it has to be on the animal's terms. And you have to let them, in my experience, they choose you. You don't choose them. Like when you were the condor. Yes, sir. Condor chose me. There's a whole other story behind that, but we'll be all night if I get into that one. All right. But they they choose you, and you have to open yourself up, and it has to be on their terms. Um, In the Inca and pre-Inca traditions, there are three worlds. The upper world is represented by the condor, which is love and the color pink or rose-colored. The middle world is the jaguar or the puma, which is power, which is like an electric blue. And the lower world is the serpent, which is gold, which is wisdom. So it's love, power, and wisdom, or truth, love, and energy. And when you get them all working together, you will get like an ultraviolet blue. Let's go to Michael in Florida. We'll take it away, Michael. Hi there. Uh, Yes, sir. Uh, I was fortunate when I was 13, I'm one quarter Native American, to study to be a sachem from the Miolan Society on the coast of Maine. Up there, they're called differently, but same basic thing. And uh, I went through the whole thing, the sweat lodge, the spirit uh, guide ceremony, the sun dance, and even climb Mount Katahdin up in Maine, which is a must for anybody that's following that to go up, climb the mountain that's a mile high, walk the nice edge, and take the leap of faith. What do you think of that, man? I think that's awesome. I'm jealous. Um, the whole thing about these traditions is about purification. So I've done a number of very powerful sweat lodges, uh, both in Canada and throughout the United States here. And, and in the jungle, too, all of these traditions have to do with purification, both both physically and mentally and spiritually. They're deep cleansing. And in fact, in the jungle, they call ayahuasca la purga, which is the purge. And you'll and with the, the dieta that they put you on, it comes out both ends. And, and there's also a, a tradition, so to speak, that all of the discomforts that you go through in the jungle, physical, mental, and ordeals and all that, all of those are to prove that you're worthy of the knowledge of the gift that the plants and the spirits have to give you. So that is the same thing, climbing the mountain and making the leap of faith. It's the same type of thing. you got to, you know, you got to pay your dues to prove you're worthy of what they have to give you. And, of course, when you get it, it's well worth it, but it's not for everybody either. Matthew, can ayahuasca hurt you, assuming you don't ingest a lot? Um, the only way it can hurt you is if you don't follow the diet correctly, because one of the things it does is it releases massive amounts of serotonin. And when it gets to a point, you can vomit, and you can you can have it coming out both ends, and you can go into mild convulsions, which is... but. When you vomit and it's coming out both ends, it's your body's way of purging the excess, um, kind of like venting a steam kettle. If it happens during your sleep, you could choke to death, can't you? Yeah, you could, but you 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 won't sleep. And if you, that's why there's a lot of strict dietary things that you have to follow before you do it. You can't be on any antidepressants or anything like MDMA or any other substances like that. You really need to be clean before you go into it to show respect for it. Is so, it is it legal in this country? It's getting legal. Is it? Um, so, a quick story. There's a there were. Th- a number of churches now that are springing up, but originally there were three of them. I won't get into all of them, but one of them was uh, the UDV Unayo de Vegetales, 
and they were importing the ayahuasca, and the DEA came in and busted them. Well, the leader of that church was one of the Bronfmans. I never remember which one is who, but the Bronfmans were the Seagram Seven Fortune. They, right, very wealthy family. Yeah. He fought them. He, he, so he beat the case. The DEA appealed. He beat him again. Then it went to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court did sort of an unprecedented thing. They took apart the case and said, here's where you guys are wrong. This is the freedom of religion. Wow. And they won. And a very good friend of mine was the chief medical witness in the case. Um, and then they were trying to get the uh, the peyote church to help, but they said, you guys are on your own. Well, now there's a number of ayahuasca churches popping up all over the place following that precedent that was set. But I kind of have mixed feelings about that. Do you drink it or chew it? Is it like a berry or do you drink it? No, you drink it. It's, so the brew is called ayahuasca, but it's the two plants, like I mentioned earlier. There's the ayahuasca vine. Right. And then there's a chacruna, Psychotra viridis, which is um, a, a bush, a small bush. What do they do, they smash it. it up? They they mash it up, and then they boil it down for a long period of time, and they sing and they pray over it. So you could fill up a big pot. And then the liquid part is what you drink, I guess. Yeah, I, I like to characterize it as a mixture of crankcase oil and battery acid, but that's just me. What about magic mushrooms? Magic mushrooms have some of the same uh, components, psychoactive DMT. Yeah, and that, there are a lot of traditions that, that go along with that. But they're, they're a lot easier on you in many respects than ayahuasca. But you can take a lot and you can get sick. But, um, again, when you go into these things, it's all about purification. So when you go in with the proper respect, and in the, in the, in the traditions they say you're showing respect to the spirit of the plant. And you, you go in with that respect, and you go in as clean as you can be, and then you get cleaned and purified more. Let's go to Charlie in Chester, New Jersey. Hi, Charlie. Hi, George. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. I have something from Matthew I wanted to mention. I believe in plant and animal life, there are two types, friend and foe. Now, foe plants and animals are going to try to defeat humans in life and in the spirit world. In life, fall plants and animals try to push humans into fascism or communism, two negative political systems. Hmm. In the spirit world, they will try to push humans into atheism to try to make us lost souls. Let's get your take on that, Matthew. Well, you know, the world is a mixed bag, and if there's such a thing as some limited way of free will, then all things are off. One of the things about ayahuasca that I love is, uh, and this is just me personally, is that you have to experience the light and the dark. You know, you have uh, my my old coach used to call them the granola eaters. You know, I just want to see the light, and I'm a warrior of light, and I just want to, well... That's not necessarily, you have to, you can't have the light without the dark. And the more the dark there is, the greater the light is, and you have to experience them both. So if you continue working with ayahuasca, you will experience both. But you learn to be objective, and you learn to navigate, and you learn to realize that, okay, I took something that made me go through these experiences, and I'm going to see them all. And I've, I've had a lot of dark visions also, and I've had heavenly visions. But how else are you going to learn, and how else are you going to find the center? And you'd rather have the heavenly visions than the dark visions, I bet, huh? Yes, but in a way, you have to go through the dark to get to the light. That's the big part of it. When you confront your shadow and you confront your demons and the things that you've been denying all of your life and you break through, the darkness holds a gift. Have you ever come across a shaman, Matthew, that was just spectacular? Oh, yeah, a few of them. Not a lot, though. No, no, because it's interesting. They call it the power path. And the more you go on the power path, in the old Carlos Castaneda books, he talked about becoming a man of knowledge. Yes. When you, the further you go up the power path. Goes to their head, doesn't it? Yes. So the, the more you go up that way, the more the danger is of falling, like seducing women is a big one. Sounds like a human trait. It is a human trait. That's why integrity is, is very um, hard to find. And when you find it, and each time you reach a new level, there's a whole new set of problems. Yeah. And far greater responsibility. Let's go to Lauren in Vancouver, Canada. Hi, Lauren. Thanks for calling. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, comment, question. First of all, they say that uh, religion is for people who are afraid to go to hell, and spirituality is for people who have been to hell and come back. <laughs> I love yeah, it. You may be right on both of those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know I've called several times. My mother died in my arms three years ago in my kitchen. And um, from your past guests talking about, uh, you know, mediums and then after death experience, etc. My mother has come back several times apologizing to me. I'm so sorry it happened. I'm so sorry it happened. I realized last night when she came, you know, talking to me like not 
in like just feeling it, like feeling her energy, saying, I'm so sorry, I realized that if I forgave her, and I did, she was no longer bound to earth. And I forgave her, and I felt that that was, I was free as well from that burden of feeling that pain. And I just like to ask Matthew's um, opinion or experience on all his ayahuasca stuff or spiritual shaman stuff, uh, the power of forgiveness. That's really brilliant. Um, for, for what it's worth, I shepherded my mom through her death. I did three days. She was in a coma, and I did oh, three days God. of shamanic ceremony to it's help not, her transition to the other side. Not easy, Matthew. Not and easy. Um, this is the thing. She died in your arms, but that was also a co-creation. So when you forgive, you let go of your part of the creation, and that can free her up. So there's so much to be said for forgiveness. And, you know, forgiveness and gratitude, I think, are two of the greatest attributes of humanity. It sounds like she's moved on because of that. Yeah, it sounds, and I think so. Because once you let go, then you then you free up. Otherwise, there 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 there's an emotional attachment, whether it's there for real or or not. You know, they're they're everywhere. Let's go back to Lauren for a second. Lauren, what did she apologize for? Dying in your arms? She was. She came here every three months to get her medication. She was literally in the bathroom putting her makeup on, leaving to go to the airport. I was going to drive her to the airport. She came out and died in my arms. And, oh, my gosh. Yeah, apologizing for putting that burden on me because, you know, I had a million things bad happen to me in my life. It just whatever. I'm not going to play victim here. But there's a million things going wrong, and I she's apologizing it. to me saying that's the last thing I want to do is have you have me dying. Sounds like you had a saintly mother to be sure. That uh, is remarkable. She puts your feelings ahead of hers. That's what that's what good moms do, Matthew. Yes, sir. And I feel like I have an ally on the other side there and I feel like part of me is over there with her if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Now your new book, Pika Floor, where do you get it? Um, it's on Amazon, obviously. It's uh, available as an ebook, a tree book and an audio book. And I, I, I forgot to mention, but my first memoir is called Spirit Matters that ends with my Santa Teresa experience. And then Pico Floor, and that ends in 2000 chronologically. And Pico Floor is the continuation of that for the next 20 years. And it's also available. In fact, I put it up on sale, uh, a combination sale on my publishing company, which is Mystic Inc. And it's M-Y-S-T-I-C-I-N-K publishing.com. Super, Matthew. That's fantastic. And uh, we will come back in just a moment with Matthew Palomari, website linked up at coasttocoastam.com, as he mentioned. And uh, the two great books, Spirit Matters, which we talked to him about a year ago, and then the new one, Pico Floor, about shamanisms and spirits as well. So we're going to come back in just a moment on Coast to Coast AM and take final calls. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie back with Matthew Palomari, our final segment of your calls. Matthew, what was it that got you involved in all this that you're doing right now? Well, I've always been searching for truth. And to me, truth has been more important than anything else in the world. And then as I was growing up, um, I was fascinated with altered states. And I never realized that there was a, a connection until much later that there was a connection between altered states and spirituality. It never had crossed my mind. So when I discovered that the two were connected and I started getting involved, it drew me into the shamanism. And then, um, you know, when I was a kid, I loved Tarzan. Yeah. Um, you know, the books and the, and the, the, the movies and the, and the shows and all that. I just loved all that. So... Johnny Weismiller, remember? Yeah, Johnny Weismiller, right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Those those were the days. And, you know, Cheetah, the, having the animals as your friends and calling in the elephants, right? And they listened to him. Yeah. So all that was underlying it. And then even my, my earlier research into demonic possession and those things, it all came together. And um, then my fascination with the written word. And one of the things I've struggled with all my life, for, and particularly I've been writing now for, for over 40 years, um, is to try to take um, an experience like an altered state, which is really beyond words, and try to convey it in a way that people can get some sense of what it's all about using words to try to make that real for them. Uh, I'm told I'm getting pretty good at it after 40 years. Good for you. Thank you. Good for you. Have you ever been hurt out in the field? Uh, slips and stumbles and falls. Um, Nothing but, big. 
Nothing big. I've seen other people get hurt, like blowing out their knees. You know, when it rains in the jungle, it rains. Oh yeah. Um, and or, the water or, comes or, out, or, it gets muddy and slippery. Everybody attacked by a snake or anything like that? Um, here and there, but they're they're pretty good. Like when I go out, it's in the middle of nowhere, and it's a shaman's camp. They've got guys 24/7 on the perimeter with a shotgun just in case. And um, you spend most of your time alone, except when you go to the ceremonies. But uh, they come and check up on you all the time, and they keep an eye. So you know, like anything else, accidents happen and things happen. Are they friendly towards you? Yeah, they are because um, they realize that I'm coming to embrace their culture. Like I'm not coming in to tell them. Do they know you? Oh yeah, they're 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 family to me now. Okay, so that that makes a big difference. Yeah, no, they respect the fact that I come and I say, look, I'm here and I'm here to learn what you have to show me. I'm not going to tell you what I think you should do. I'm not going to tell you that you should worship in this way. I want to know what you have, and I'm here to learn. And they respect me because they've thrown a lot of stuff at me, and I've taken it all. And um, there's a lot of deep respect and brotherhood for that. Let's go to the phones. Joe in Monterey, California. Hey, Joseph, go ahead. Thank you for taking my call, George. Thanks, Joe. Um, I was wondering, um, does uh, have you looked into uh, the traditions of other uh, indigenous people as far as uh, contacting the spirit of the plant and learning directly from the spirit of the plant? I feel that uh, a long time ago that these spirits, that these oversouls or these uh, deities of a genus of a certain plant or even crystals as well, because I know they have uh, an oversoul, um, perhaps they were contacted uh, in the dream state and directed and taught in the dream state uh, to learn more about the benefits of them. Also, have you looked into communicating with the other side as far as some of the shamans that are still uh, practicing their art on the astral plane, of course, shamans and mystics, and they're as healers. Have you uh, made contact with that as a learning tool and an assist in healing? Thank you. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, that is exactly what I do in the jungle, and I've also done it in um, American Indian traditions and up through Canada. I've done the whole uh, peyote hunt and the uh, the uh, pilgrimage to Weirakuta. And in, so in American Indian, as an example, in American Indian beliefs and things, they say, they don't say the wolf. They'll say wolf and they'll say bear. And the reason they say that is because they look at them as all one spirit. And the best example I can give is like when you look at like a, a colony of bees or ants, how they all work together and they have these invisible connections of working all together. So each plant and animal is its own entity. It's part of a bigger collective, exactly, exactly what you just said. And they're revered in that way, and they all have different gifts to bring in different ways. And I've experienced a number of different plants, and they've brought me different experiences that have opened me up in different ways. When when we're there in the jungle, we do a lot of singing to the plants. And um, what they say is that ayahuasca is the river, and then the songs are the boats that carry you along the river. And when you're singing to the plants, you're like flattering them. You're like, you're the most beautiful thing in the world, and I adore you, and I'm, you know, I'm 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 asking for your help and I respect you and you get answered when you go in with the right spirit of respect. So all all of the plants and all of the animals and even bigger things getting into deeper archetypes, they're all considered elemental spirits. And of course the primary elementals are earth, air, fire and water. Chinese medicine they also talk about metal. Um, and when you respect them and you honor them, first thing, one of the things that happens is they go, oh, you recognize me. Oh, you know, and then you start getting these different type of connection. And it's all about respecting and realizing and honoring that there are a lot of forces, both visible and invisible, out there that are way bigger than we are. And in, in my own experiences and journeys, I've run across all kinds of different strange um, beings and entities and spirits. But the the plants and the animals are the ones that are the strongest allies, and those are the ones that I worship, and not say worship, wor- I mean work with, um, as faces of reality and faces of creation and faces of the big picture. There have been studies on plants, Matthew, where they basically have knowledge of things. Yeah, I was just researching on that. Uh, I can't think of his name off the moment. Clive, Clive Baxter. Thank you. Or San Diego. Clive, Clive Baxter. Yeah, I've been reading up on that for my new book. 
or cleave backs, whatever uh, that is. Clivocleave, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He did his work in San Diego with the lie detectors and all that and uh, the reactions to the plants when he was going to burn them and, uh, and hurt them. And then, of course, there's the whole studies that have been done with music. They seem to prefer classical music over, like, heavy metal. That's right. Not bad. Let's yeah. go to Craig in Vancouver, Canada. Hey, Craig, go ahead. Hi, George. Good to talk to you. Hi there. Thanks for squeezing me in. Sure. Uh, uh, Matthew, I, I had just a quick comment and then a multiple-part question um, regarding peyote. Uh, I don't know. I've never really had them, but I hear they're really bitter, and I don't know how you'd get it down if they're that bitter. My my questions are, do you hallucinate or go into some kind of altered state? Um, do they have a medicinal quality, and uh, have you consumed them yourself? Thanks very much. Okay, thank you. Yes, I, I, I got... I was blessed to be able to work in the Weechol tradition, and peyote is very alkaline, so it can be very upsetting and it's very bitter. But the, one of the keys is um, when you're working with it is to eat something that is acidic, like oranges um, or citrus, with the peyote, and it will offset the, uh, the balance of your system because it's so alkaline. And they are hard to take down, and most of the plants that I've worked with do not taste good at all, but you've got to get them down. And as a matter of fact, I can't tell you how many times I've gagged just thinking about drinking more ayahuasca. Do you hallucinate sometimes when you take it? Yes. You do. Um, that, that's part of it. Um, but they're guided hallucinations by, by the shaman who's ever presiding over the ceremony. And they modulate the energy. And they'll, they'll sense like if somebody's having a particular hard time, they'll go over and they'll blow Florida water on them and other things um, to work with them to help move the energy. Because it's all about moving the energy. All, all the trauma that is stuck inside of us is energetically stuck. I guess it's not wise to do this on your own, is it? No, not at all. Do not try this at home. It's not for everybody. And like I said, I've been very lucky to find people who have integrity with a lot of experience under their belt. And his other question is the medicinal purposes. Yeah, you know, interesting. Um, there's the whole body-mind connection. And with ayahuasca, where you get you get purged and it comes out in a number of different ways. Even like uh, almost every orifice in your body is emitting something and you're getting cleared out. And oftentimes when you um, confront a particularly deep trauma, you will vomit. And, it, and the energy comes out in the vomit like that and you'll get cleared of it. But you have to, if you have those experiences and you confront those things, you also have to take those experiences and then you get, when you go into your everyday life is when you really get tested. I often say that the integration process is almost more important than the experience itself. If you have revelations and you see things and then you go back to doing what you were doing in your regular life, then you're wasting your time. But if you learn things and you incorporate it into your day-to-day -day life, then you're really doing the work. Let's go to Mary in Los Angeles. Hey, Mary, welcome. Hi. I, I really love Indian, you know, peyote and everything, but getting to the point of the you know, flying saucers again, there must be somebody in those flying saucers. Do you think they're going to come and talk to Mr. Putin and say, hey, let's have a cup of coffee? Or No, I don't think that's going to happen, Mary. Not at all. Not at all. Ed in Charlotte, North Carolina. Go ahead, Eddie. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Ed. Uh, Matt, Matthew, I, here's what I want to point out is that um, Finland and Norway have spas where you get your body heated up and uh, you, you look Battle Creek, Michigan, Dr. Kellogg, the original founder of Kellogg's, mm -hmm. um, which had whole grain, had real cereal originally, and um, he had Amelia Earhart and Henry Ford and people, and you look down the hall and their heads are sticking out in the hall and their bodies are getting all sweaty in the spas. And against COVID, Norway and uh, Finland, Finland is the only country has more spas than population, and they, a lot of people, almost a ritual on the weekends, uh, their death rate hadn't even been 1% or even one-tenth of 1%. About one-tenth of one percent, and uh, they believe in going out, Dr. Kellogg and these people believe in getting out in sunlight and letting air in, and apparently it works, and uh, you get your real natural vitamin D3, which uh, you get from the sun, or if you let mushrooms absorb it and eat those, you can get it from that way. But I was just going to get your opinion that, that we have in our modern era some countries that seem to utilize your thinking. Yeah, you know, it, what you're saying all goes back to purification. It's about purification. It's like when you get you get food poisoning and you get violently ill and you vomit. Well, because your body's like, this isn't good for me. I'm getting it out as fast as I can. And, you know, one of the things that happens, like when people overdose and things like that, is they'll, they'll, they'll make them uh, vomit to get it out. So the bottom line of all these traditions and things and sweat lodges and the, the salt things and the steam is all about getting toxins out of your body. And when, you know, 
you ingest things, and then when you get them out, you get them out through, through sweating and, and urinating and uh, defecating and all those things. Um, because it goes in, it's got to come out. So the purification is where you start to work toward it and get uh, greater clarity, which is one of the goals of the whole thing. Next up, John, Alberta, Canada. Hey, John, go ahead. How you doing? Great. I just got a quick question here. Because you were raised in somewhere in the States, uh, is your experience different from somebody who was raised in the Amazon? And uh, are you guided through these here experiences and are hallucinations different? Because I have very little experience with uh, jaguars or condors in my everyday mm-hmm. life. So would I experience jaguars and condors if I did that ayahuasca here? What do you think, Matt? Go ahead. That's a great question. So people who have never been to the jungle who have been in ayahuasca ceremonies up here in North America will have visions of jaguars and condors and uh, all the other animals from the jungle. They'll, no matter where they are in the world, they'll have those same archetypal visions of those same entities that are revered and respected in cultures. Matt, uh, once again, give out your website and the uh, name of your book as we wrap things up. Yes, sir. Thank you, George. Um, so my website is uh, Um and my publishing is mysticinkpublishing.com, M-Y-S-T-I-C-I-N-K publishing.com um, and anybody goes to my website there's a contact thing so if you want to say hi you can do that and it'll email me. Matt stay in touch and uh, definitely get back to us when your next book is done okay? Outstanding thank you so much George I really appreciate you having me on. Always a pleasure on our next Coast to Coast program we're going to talk about reincarnation and mysticism on Coast to Coast so make sure you're part of the program you will love it. For Dan Galanti Tom Danheiser, Lisa Lyon, Lex Lonehood, Sean Ladasor, Stephanie Smith, Chris Burles, Tim Benal, George Knapp, and Ian Punnett. I'm George Norrie, somewhere out there on Coast to Coast AM. We'll see you on our next edition. Until then, be safe, everyone.